The VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of The VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. I'm Paul Stefano. And I'm Sean Daly. How are you today, Sean? I'm okay. I'm getting over a flu or some kind of respiratory bug. My nephew, who's about a year old now, he and his mom were sick the last time we visited. Eventually, my dad got sick, and he passed it on to me. And of course, by upper respiratory, I mean affecting my voice and my chest. And so I haven't really been able to do any serious auditioning and in projects for almost two weeks. It's pretty frustrating. Oh, that's a bummer. I'm actually mm-hmm. suffering a bit myself. My, my youngest son was really sick for a few days, and I picked up a trace of it. I can't tell if it's getting worse or getting better. Not, either way, it's not good. Yeah, you just get that little that, that sense that something's wrong, but... <laughs> You don't know exactly yeah. what, and you're like, do I need to go to the doctor? <laughs> I was in a tough spot because I had two books I was supposed to start, and I put them both off because it, I don't want to start a book, an audio book, where my voice is bad, but it's not bad enough where I'm stopping everything, so I'm doing auditions for you know, commercial stuff and other jobs, but I didn't want to start a book that sounding crappy and then have to come back and redo it. Absolutely, because like you said, even if your voice didn't sound bad, it probably won't sound like you naturally do. So that like that's consistency issues right there. So it's probably wise to put those off until you're feeling better. Yeah, we'll see. So what's been going on with you voiceover-wise? Uh, there have actually been some things. Uh, haven't just been sitting on my laurels as I recuperate, but I set up a new booth in my house. And oh, cool. Yeah, you actually know what it is. It's actually my old booth, which was sort of a... To, to take your phrase, a Franken booth in a way. I actually got a sort of prefab frame, or excuse me, I got a prefab material for it from Vocal Booth to go. It was their hanging acoustic vocal booth, which is originally meant to be suspended by like a strong cable. That that was an imp- or that wasn't very practical for my house. So we just kind of we went to the hardware store and got some PVC pipe and some connectors and made a frame for it. And now I have two places that I can record. So or depending on who's out and about and which room is available. So I'm really happy about that. And uh, what about you? Well, I haven't done any changes to my booth, shockingly, but I did try and focus on some performance things. I almost said performance issues. But up bump. Oh, hoyo. But I met virtually with Everett Oliver, who you can find at myboothdirector.com. He's a former studio booth director for auditions for some big, uh, some big studios and agencies and now has this consulting business where he'll actually let you meet with him over the phone or video and talk you through an audition. It's a great, great service. Well, I should say it sounds like a great service. Uh, so far, I've only had the initial consultation. Mm-hmm. So... What he does is meets with you to talk about just your life in general, where you come from, what sort of training you had, what your goals and dreams are. So he sort of gets a feel for you before he starts giving you directions because feels like he needs to get to know you before he actually works with you. Mm-hmm. So I had that first session, and it was a little unexpected. He uh, told me basically I suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, he wasn't that, he wasn't that mean. Um, if you've seen any interviews with Everett, he is very... Very, he's no uh, nonsense. Upfront. Yeah, yes, he's, he's, he's no nonsense. But mm-hmm. he was actually much more diplomatic in person. He, uh, well, he asked me how many acting classes have you taken, and I said zero. And he said, "All right, you need to take some acting classes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go back and see me after that." More or less, we talked about how I'm represented by several agencies, and I get auditions from them, and that's not going to stop. And it would be a bad idea to 
not do the auditions while I was doing some training. So he did say that if I want to work with him on some auditions I get from agencies, definitely dial him up. Mm-hmm. But uh, priorities should be some additional training. And I can't disagree with that at all. I mean, everyone tells you that it's voice acting, right? We call ourselves voice actors. So you should really have some acting training. That's a really good point because I feel like over the last couple of months, I've kind of moved away from regular training sessions, either with like group classes or my own studies, whether it's just reading voiceover articles or um, or just generic research and stuff like that. But since I've been sick, I'm like, well, I can't voice anything. So I've kind of been going back to that. And um, like it's, it is really helpful. It's very important to kind of gauge your skills where you're at. And if you need improvement, taking acting classes and and where are you taking them actually oh you're asking me yeah Yeah. i actually did take everett's advice right away um he said a good place to look is the local community college so i did that i signed up for a class that starts on valentine's day Hmm. um hopefully my wife's not mad that that's what i'll be doing in lieu of a dinner date but i'm going to start with the local community college take an intro to acting class there and see how that goes and maybe do some more it's really really convenient because it's right up the street for me it's a Pretty good program for what I understand. I know that the director works with a friend of mine who's a stage manager for a local theater troupe, and he runs this theater troupe along with the program at the community college. So it should be a pretty good program. Mm-hmm. That's great. And uh, like you said, community classes are a great way to inexpensively learn a skill, whether it be acting or even some of the other areas of voiceover, like the the business aspects, like a marketing class or even like a carpentry class if you want to get into building your own booth. So there's like community colleges are a great resource. Yeah, and I don't have any affiliation to this particular school, so I'll just tell you. The acting class is 90 bucks, which is fantastic. Can't beat yeah, that. Yeah, that's amazing. Like how long does it go? Is it a several-week course? It's a, uh, I can't do math, but it's <laughs> January, I mean, February 14th, Valentine's Day until April like 9th or something. So Oh, wow, yeah. It's a long class. A little over two months, yeah. Yeah, it should be a good good experience. Wonderful. And then the other thing I did is uh, signed back up with Sean Pratt on audiobook training because I had gotten about a third of the way through his program and then took a hiatus because I was just too busy. And Sean's great about doing that, rescheduling, adjusting to, to your needs. So I was able to contact him and squeeze back in on his schedule. I start back up with him uh, Friday the 8th. Very cool. I, I, speaking of it, I've actually had to postpone some sessions just because of this stupid virus. Because like, uh-huh. um, he gives you, depending on where you're at in your, your career, you can have a pretty long list of homework. Because, like, for me, I'm I'm pretty much just a, ba- or a blank slate. I'm trying. I hooked up with him because I wanted to to get some demos on my Audible site and to really, like, dive in head first. And since so many of my assignments were performance based i had to put them all off because i'm not like i'm not there and it is frustrating because you want to be like you want to give your best and if you can't you don't <laughs> or you shouldn't i should say yeah his, his homework is serious stuff it can take a if, if you're doing it right and you actually put the effort in it can take a while Mm-hmm. they're enjoyable assignments though it's like i mean i was an english major in college and so it's a lot of a lot of critical analysis of text and stuff like that and i'm like i'm in my element <laughs> yeah it can be fun too Mm-hmm. so anything else going on in your world well like i said since i'm i can't perform so much i'm trying to figure out other ways 
to to occupy my time. And so I've got some new YouTube video ideas in the works. If you follow me on my YouTube channel, I like to do gear reviews and just sort of going over different voiceover equipment and what you might need and what you might not. Like I mentioned, I, I built a new booth. And since this is like I've gotten a lot of questions about my booth because people really like how it looks and how it sounds. I decided to make a video showing you exactly how I made mine so you can make one exactly like it or make your own custom version. And so there's that one. I've got a few interface videos coming up. So we have review videos for the Audient ID4, which is a great little single channel interface that's good for uh, travel or sort of a, a starter interface. And then we got what I'm using right now, the SBL Creon, which is sort of this really beefy interface with a lot of uh, inputs and outputs similar to, say, the Audient ID22 but it's got sort of different flavor preamps and it's got some unique features of its own. So I'm really happy about that. And then since I have so many <laughs> interfaces of various feature sets and price ranges, I figured I'd do a sort of comparison video. So people who might be buying a new interface or an interface for the first time can really kind of decide what features they're actually looking for and what they really need for where they're at in their career. So that's pretty much where I'm at. So that's actually a good segue into our next segment. We're going to get very shortly to our Agent Roundtable discussion with our wonderful guests. But first, it's time to look at this week's Questionable Gear Purchase. So I'll start. And uh, this week, or this break in between episodes, is a little different. I actually sort of regressed and went backwards in, in thinking. I got rid of all the mics I have, except for the AT2020 by Audio-Technica. What about the 897? Yeah, I got rid of that, too. Why? <laughs> it sounded well, good. The reason for it is I was popping it like crazy, and I couldn't move back far enough in the booth because I work in a really small space. It's a 4x4 whisper room, and it's a pretty long mic, and there was just no more room to back up from it, uh, so there was no way to stop the popping, really. And Did you see that one... Um, they had that pop filter from the Hook Studios that pop, uh, like you can put right on the barrel of the shotgun, so it doesn't really add any length. Well, I was, I I was already using a windscreen on it, and I mm -hmm. tried some of the, the generic pop filters I have in front of that, too, and I was still popping it, which almost never happens to me. So oh, okay. I, I knew yeah. it, was, it was just the, the, the space and the distance between the mic. So what, what I did was sort of go back to basics. The AT2020 was the first mic I ever had. And I had the USB version that I was using for audiobooks, and it sounded really good. So I put it up on the, the standing part of my booth where I had the shotgun, and it still sounded really good, actually probably better. And I've gotten compliments over the, the last year or so from, from some colleagues who have said, that mic sounds good on you, probably the best I've ever heard you sound. So and is that what you're using right now? Yeah, that's what I'm using right now. It sounds good. Sounds I, like you. I, I agree. So I'm taking it, taking it old school, going back to basics. I'm using both AT2020s, in fact. One XLR that I'm talking on now, and then I'm still using the, the USB version for audiobooks. And it's the added benefit of, of having the same sound for all the work I do. And I can also take the USB version with me if I have to travel. Just pull it off the stand, have my, my tablet, my Windows tablet with me, and I'm, I'm good to go to record. Oh, cool. So, and you, so you can, that, uh, that's the plan. Because there, there are numerous versions of... There's at least three versions of the, the USB one. Which one did you get? I have the Plus. So it's the one with the, the headphone monitoring. Okay, that, that sounds like it's the best 
there, I mean, headphone monitoring is one that you want, like is a feature that you would like to look for in a lot of USB mics. That just means that you can listen to yourself as you record by plugging your headphones into the mic. It's something you can do with any interface mic combo, but not all USB mics have that feature. So it's a useful one to have, especially if you're doing audiobooks and you might need to like do punch and roll or something like that, or you're being live directed, which I, I've done that in the past with a, a Blue Yeti, and which was a really useful feature to have. Yeah, so you can use the, the interface or the converter in there to actually be a phone patch. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a great feature too. You're right. So yeah, that's where, that's where I am now. If you want to he- read the whole story, go to my blog. It's www.paulstefano.com slash blog. And I explain the whole method to my madness and how I came about to that decision. Very cool. I'll have to check that out because, I mean, I've, I've, it, it'd be interesting to hear his perspective because I've sort of been like, hand-holding him through, or not, no, not, not hand-holding, he doesn't need that, but supporting him through his journey and his constant revolving door of mic lockers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. But, I mean, I, as I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I love that you're willing to try anything, and you're, like, you don't, you don't sit on your laurels too long before you try something or revisit something, so. <laughs> yeah, that's my, uh, that's my MO for sure. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm just lucky that I have four mics that sound good. So, <laughs> so any questionable purchases or uh, or actual good purchases this uh, this week for you? I think I lucked out, okay, because <laughs> I've I've pretty much gotten all of all of the big purchases and stuff that I need, and so I focused on things that you might not think about immediately, but could kind of help you out in like whether it be workflow or peace of mind stuff like that. One thing that I got that I'm really happy about are it's what's called a quick release mic adapter. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I got these on the recommendation of James Arnold Taylor. He's one of my favorite voice actors, an incredible impressionist and just an amazing energy. And like he plays Johnny Test and he was Waldorf Sockbat, sort of the SpongeBob character on Drawn Together. Anyway, he's got a review video of this mic called the Aston Origin. And in it, he's talking about these little quick release connectors they're they're these two parts it's just this little metal column and one one part goes onto any mic stand and then the other part screws into the bottom of your mic shock mount and what it does is that it keeps you from having to constantly screw and unscrew all of your mics from the stands and then this little two-piece kit allows you to literally just snap on snap off your mics so since i got those I've been switching my mics out a lot more often. I've been playing with them a lot instead of just letting them sit in the box. And speaking of boxes, I actually got a new equipment case from SKB, which is an American company. They make really nice equipment cases. And then I got this one that was designed for six handheld mics. If you've seen like an equipment case for uh, like a live set, you might know what I'm talking about. Usually just like a big black militarized plastic case nothing special but these ones are really neat because they have sort of customizable padding oh so, so it's like a, like a gig case or a road case for a for yeah band. yeah exactly that, okay. that's why i got it because i was tired of like when i switched out mics they would all have to go back into their individual boxes and only two out of four of my mics had decent cases that came with them like my blue mouse had a nice wooden case and the 416 has a nice travel case but uh my other two mics were just had their boxes. But anyways, this thing is designed to hold six handheld dynamics 
but you can move the padding around to like to snugly fit whatever you want really i was able to fit three mics two shock mounts and a couple of those quick release connectors in the in it and it fits perfectly wow. I'm, like I'm, I'm pretty amazed this would be perfect if you wanted to take, like, say, Paul's small USB mic or a smaller condenser and, say, like a one or two channel interface. That would fit perfectly in that, I think. And it's incredibly well protected. It's waterproof. And it was only like 60 bucks because it was a demo unit from Sweetwater. And they're like, oh, may have light scratches on the surface. I'm like, it's a travel case. Of course it's going to have scuff marks on it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a really happy one. And then one last thing. This isn't necessarily VO related, but that that's what I'm using it for is this new battery pack from an Indiegogo that I, I participated in called OmniCharge. And this is <laughs> this is an amazing like I can't believe I'm this excited about a battery pack, <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, so I mean, you I'm sure you've seen them anywhere like those small like they can be like the size like a either a stick of gum or like a packet of cigarettes or something like that. And it's just something that came out of the mobile or like the need to constantly charge our devices. But anyways, this one is amazing because it can hold up to, it's like 20,500 milliamps. <laughs> wow. It, it's huge. And, um, and it can power up to four devices. It's uh, got two USB outs and then two DC outs. It actually has a three-prong outlet on it so you could plug your laptop into that wow and basically you can charge a phone for up to nine hours or or a laptop for five how big is it um it's it's not much larger than your average than your average battery pack especially considering how what the output is wow yeah i have a similar thing that i bought for like power failures in my house but this was like 10 years ago i think it has about the same output but it's too like suitcases full of lead acid batteries oh my god no this thing is tiny it's like it's um especially considering the size of certain like uh mini tablets and phones these days it's not much larger than those the reason i got it is because when we travel we might need or like one one complaint is or one workaround is trying to have a good outlet to plug your laptop or even your interface because certain interfaces like the Audion ID14 or the Apollo Twin or uh, the SPL Creon or the ID22, they require additional power to ensure like a clean signal in their preamps because they, they, they just don't get enough reliable power from USB alone. So that completely changed the game for me. Like I can actually travel with my ID14 now because I don't need to worry about uh, the power outlet and stuff like that. And I mean, I can charge my laptop, my phone, and my iPad at the same time. <laughs> wow. It's, yeah, it's amazing. If you want to support them, it's OmniCharge at Indiegogo.com. I think it's great. It's like the last portable battery pack you would ever need. I think it's amazing. A little expensive, but if, if you're never going to buy another battery pack again, let this be your last one. So Awesome. So that wraps up the discussion on this week's questionable gear purchases. Or beneficial gear purchases. Yeah, makes more sense. At least this time, they're not always, you know. <laughs> and now it's time to get to the meat of this episode, our representation roundtable. Rep table! So the topic for today's episode is representation. Why you might need it, what you do once you get it. Sean and I were talking to some colleagues and figured out there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what happens once you actually are represented. 
Sean and I have both been represented for a couple of months now, closer to a year for me. And we found out that not all is rosy in the land of representation. So we brought in some VO friends that are a little bit further along in their journey to talk about their experiences with their agents and being represented. Yeah, that's right. Like Paul was saying, even we had our own misconceptions about the role of an agent in your voiceover career. And if you, it's just another one of those factors that has changed so dramatically in the industry in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Because I know when I started, I still assumed that you would go into a third-party studio uh, your agent would find you all of your work. And once you got an agent, you were kind of in. You made it, you know. And nowadays, that simply isn't the case. And so we're going to really explore that, how you can sort of make the agent-talent relationship work for you and basically sort of the best practices for approaching an agent and developing a good relations, good relationships with your agents once you get them. So joining us in just a few moments will be Michael Schwabe, Heather Costa, Mo Rock, and Matthew Curtis. Stay tuned. Shall we begin? So welcome everybody to the roundtable discussion portion of the VO Meter. Sean and I are going to be joined in just a second by some fabulous guests. But we wanted to recap the reason we're doing this. So as you know, the VO Meter's thrust is to help people who are just starting out. And one of those questions people often ask is, when do I get an agent? How do I get an agent? What can an agent do for me? So that's what we're going to talk about in just a second. But first, I want to introduce our fabulous guests. Let's start with Mo, if we could, please. Hello. I'm Mo Rock. Um, I've been in voiceover for over 20 years, to age myself. Uh, a degree in theater with an acting concentration. And I've been full-time a little over five years. Okay. And I specialize in commercial character and narration. Fabulous. Welcome. And how about Matthew? Hi, I'm Matthew. I'm a voice artist. Uh, <laughs> so I've actually been doing performing about all my life, uh, voiceover off and on ever since I was about 10. Um, and then really started taking it seriously about three years ago. Um, and about full time now, except for that I have two children. So I have to work a part time job just to, to feed those mouths. Um, but hoping by the end of the year to be actually going full time. So also play Drop Zone. If, if, you, if anyone's out there and plays video games, play Drop Zone. Okay, sorry. Awesome. Welcome, <laughs> Matthew. We're all about the shameless self-promotion. It's okay, Matt. So up next, we have Michael, Michael Schwalbe. I hope I said that right. You did say that right. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Uh, my name is Michael Schwalbe. Uh, I'm a full-time voice actor uh, based in Nashville, Tennessee. Been full-time uh, a little over three years now. Um, went to school for music business, found out that the music business sucks now. And uh, <laughs> so I've uh, been doing this ever since and making a lot more money. Uh, <laughs> as far as my work, um, I do a lot of commercial work. I do a lot of video game and uh, animation work. And um, yeah, that's me. Very cool. And our final guest for the afternoon, Miss Heather Costa. How are you doing, Heather? I'm good. How are you? Great. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm a New York voice actor, and I just moved to L.A. with my family about a month ago. And very, very excited, settling in slowly. Um, I've been voicing since 2004. Um, I do a lot of commercial, animation, video game, audiobook, a lot of corporate stuff, kind of the gamut of, of VO, <laughs> and uh, and I have two little kids also, so the juggling of, of 
the VO and not, but sometimes I just come in my booth for some quiet and uh, <laughs> sometimes to work, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. That artistic <laughs> relief. <laughs> well, great. Welcome, everybody. Once again, thank you for, for joining us. I think it's going to be a great discussion. Sean, I believe you want to start with the first question, so fire away. Yeah, let's keep it simple. When did you get your first agent? About how long into your voiceover career um, did you have it? So anyone, uh, you're welcome to answer. Uh, this is Heather. Um, I, uh, I got my first agent. I was probably already in VO for about six years. Um, and I think it's just because I wasn't really marketing myself to agents before that. And I, uh, she was a small time agent, but she was wonderful, like a small market, like, you know, not a, um, not a, not a big time agent, but she did exactly what I needed her to do. And uh, she sent me out often for auditions and, and she was great. That's wonderful. And what were you doing before that? Uh, I was just doing marketing on my own. I built up my clientele, just marketing without agents. And that was like contacting production houses directly? Yes. Yes. Production there houses, ad agencies. Um, yeah. Yeah. And feel free to get as specific as you like, guys, because we're trying to help people who really don't know where to look for voiceover opportunities. So like maybe they've just finished their coaching, they've got some demos out, and they don't know what to do. So some people might take the direct to agent route and other people might be wanting to do what you did and kind of be more independent and contact the client directly. Um, I think both are, are very valuable. And at this point in my career, I have, um, you know, a bunch of really great regional agents as well as direct marketing that I do. How so many I, agents do you have, if you don't mind? Um, about seven. Seven, yes. Anybody else who wants to share their experience about when they first looked for an agent or how they, they landed with their first agent? Um, I'll go. This is Mel Rock. And um, I, I, my path has been probably a little different than most people's. I mean, like I said, once I graduated uh, college and I, um, they didn't teach us much voiceover in college. So I started pursuing that outside. Um, I got an agent pretty darn quickly um, at that. But she was even though it was Seattle, she was kind of one of the smaller non-union agents. Um, and then I went off on other paths and then ended up coming back to voiceover, um, did a little bit here and there, and then more and more and more. And then when I went full time um, is when I picked up my next agent. So I had like a big long period of like 15 years or so in, in between. Um, and when I, when I picked up that first agent, I actually, uh, it was kind of a mutual friend. Let me introduce you to this person. Um, but I didn't really pursue other agents until I felt like I was at the level because you don't want to give a bad impression. Um, you don't want them to remember you for not quality work. So you got to be really careful about when you start pursuing agents, when you have that quality demo, when you have a really good website, when you're going to come off as incredibly professional. Um, otherwise, you might leave a bad taste in their mouth. They might see your name and never, ever listen to your demo again, even though you've improved. So it's, it's really important to like get that level down. And then, and now I have like 10 agents, but um, I, I waited until like, several demos down the line before I really was like, okay, now I'm banging. Now I can really go out there and get them. Fantastic. Thank you. And uh, Matt or Mike, do you guys want to chime in? Uh, sure. I can chime in. Um, I didn't really put a big emphasis on finding an agent. Um, 
for quite a while. I, uh, I'm a big aficionado of the Doug Turkell school of thought, which is uh, don't be the kind of talent that needs an agent, be the kind of talent an agent needs. Oh, I like that. So I, I set about more on trying to build my career. And like Mo said, you know, get all my ducks in a row, be as professional as possible. Um, even from the very beginning, you know, I, I never did the, you know, free or low pay work, um, to, to kind of get into VO. I went like whole hog right away, got all my demos done, all my stuff put together, and then just said I was a professional. And, uh, my very first voiceover client ever was the National Museum of the U.S. Army and uh, doing voices for their exhibits. And so I, I think that there's a lot of value to that, to like just always presenting yourself as professionally as possible. And uh, so my first agent uh, I got in December of last year, maybe. And then I, so I had four um then by April, because I was like, I want agents. So then I just started shopping around. <laughs> Fantastic. We're well, talking about snowballing, man. Yeah, well done. <laughs> um, I, I ditched one of them already because <laughs> it was a bad, uh, bad fit. We'll call it that. And um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm kind of actively now looking because I've, I've booked a few pretty sizable jobs lately. And I'm trying to use that as momentum to then get uh, some serious LA representation. And I'm working on that now. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on all your hard work. Uh, Sorry, Sean. Let me, uh, let me ask Matthew a question so he doesn't have a chance to speak. One of the things we wanted to, to bring up, and really the reason Sean and I came up with this topic, is because we found that for both ourselves and some other talent that we've spoken to, once you get an agent, you may not book right away, or it might take quite a few months to actually book a job with an agent. So, Matthew, did you find that once you were represented, you booked right away, or how did that process pan out for you? Well, mine's a bit different because, so I, well, I've been doing VO off and on all my life and then really started pursuing about three years ago. Um, I was actually working with a local agent doing film and musicals and all different stuff and VO on the side. And then when I decided that I really just wanted to pursue VO as, you know, and the other stuff as a side, they really didn't want me to do that. And so we kind of had a falling out and I don't have them anymore. Um, it was last year that I started getting some other agents and I have booked one or two things through them, but don't expect to book stuff right away. Like having an agent isn't the be all and all to booking. Because if you also think about it, they're going to be sending you stuff off of voicebank.net, which every agent's going to be sending every one of their talents as well. So you are, you're still competing with a whole lot of people. <laughs> and generally, you know, there's always someone better unless, you know, you have something that they really, really want. Does anyone else have a comment on that about when you, you feel like you should be booking once you're represented, or is there a time to hit the panic button and say, all right, now it's been too long? Well, it, it kind of depends on the agency. Um, because like Matthew said, a lot of agents, I have some regional agents that I, I don't really even hear from unless it's a voice bank audition. Because, you know, they're maybe mostly modeling or on camera or, you know, some other kind of talent agency that just so happens to also get voice bank stuff and kind of send that out as it comes. So for something like that, you know, you might be up against 900 people for a voice bank audition. I, one of my agents informed me that I was shortlisted for a a radio campaign, uh, said I was in the top 15 out of more than 900 applicants. So if you think that agencies are going to lessen your competition or that have fewer people you're competing against, you're mistaken. And even if it is just your one agency, the the reality is, is that 
there, there might be a couple other people that are very similar in sound to you, but unlike maybe on voices.com or a pay to play site, those other people are also at the top of their game. Uh, because they're on an agency. So whereas, you know, you can maybe you're 5% less good than somebody else, but you've got the right, more right voice for that spot on an agency roster, you everybody is is that good. And so it, there's just a lot less room for um, uh, not being the best. I don't that kind of <laughs> wasn't what I meant, but <laughs> well, so it can take a while. Yeah, I think you're making a fantastic point, Michael. And a lot of people might think that, like we were talking about before, once you get an agent, you've made it. And it really just opens up a completely new level of competition and challenge. And another thing that people might not consider is that when you get started with an agent, they don't know what your strengths are. There's, there's a learning period. Basically, the only feedback I've gotten from my agents is that I'm getting a lot more lucrative auditions for one thing, which is nice, but ones that are a lot more in keeping with my wheelhouse, with my, my tonal character, things like that. So eventually it, like, it takes some time to build that relationship and get a more personalized one with your agency. And I promise I'm not going to monopolize this call, but something else that just occurred <laughs> to me is that when you said you're on a different level of competition, it's also a different, uh, it can be a different sound. Like say you're booking a lot on, you know, voices, other casting sites and st- the work that you're finding on your own. And you're primarily doing, you know, maybe small corporate videos, uh, local TV or radio spots national spots sound a lot different. They like the trends move much more quickly in what the people are looking for. So you might be booking well on kind of the local sound or like a more typical classic commercial read, but a big brand doesn't want a classic commercial read. They want something that's like what on the new and trend setting. So you, you might be reading for spots like a year, like behind what you should be in terms of, of how, uh, kind of forward thinking your reads are. So you might just not be reading the the style they want either. And you can, you can also get um, not selected, <laughs> not booked for reasons that are completely out of your control. I mean, I made top five for a national recently and um, I didn't get it, but I, and I, it could have been, you know, my voice, one person thought I sounded like someone they don't like, you know, it could be something as simple like that. They also were, were really wanting people like in New York city or in LA. I can't remember. I think it was LA. And, um, and so I have ISDN, I have source connect, I have everything they need, but maybe they selected someone who was actually in LA. You know, there's, there's variables that you're not even considering. Doesn't mean don't get better, but you know, there are, there are variables that you're not considering to. Mo, did you try using the tagline imported from Lancaster County? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just pretend to be Amish. So speaking about marketing, it's a brings us to our, our next question. And Heather, are you still with us? I'm, I can't see. Yes, that. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, you talked a lot about doing a lot of your own personal marketing. What can yes. you do to market yourself to your agents to improve your bookability? Well, um, when I land, you mean the agents that you already have? Yeah. Uh, so when I land, uh, you know, a big spot, I will email them individually. Hey, just wanted to let you know I just booked this, or you know, I think this would be a good, you know, this was really in my wheelhouse. So it's kind of engaging with them. Um, also, I find that when I'm booking out, and then I book back in, it also engages conversation um, and kind of puts them back 
puts me back on their radar. Uh, sometimes if it's a really big audition, I will ask them for feedback and say, hey, you know, do you think this is what they're looking for? Um, or is there anything that I can tweak? Because you have to remember they're on your side. You know, they want you to succeed as much as you do. Um, and then it also depends on the agent. You know, some agents, I'll get a lot of stuff uh, and others, I will get really specific, you know, you and a few others are being considered for this. And, you know, you really want to bring your best foot forward for that. So it really depends on the agent. Very nice. And so uh, that brings on to a similar topic. How often do you guys communicate directly with your agents? What do you feel is sort of like the, the happy medium between pestering and just being like completely scarce? Um, well, to piggyback on, on what I was saying, um, I also try to send a newsletter quarterly. So between that and then between, I don't, I don't think I necessarily think of having to do it a certain amount of time when I have something to share with them or, um, you know, if it's like, like I'm sending stuff out now, Hey, happy, uh, happy belated new year, you know? So, cause the rush of everything already passed. Um, and you know, if I realized, Hey, I haven't directly contacted them and it's been, you know, a month or so, maybe I should shoot them an email or, you know, whatever it is. Cause sometimes I get responses just when I submit auditions. It depends on, on again, the agent. Has anybody ever been reprimanded by their agent saying, hey, don't put that out there because I wanted to, or let me handle that for you? When I first got started, yes. Really? <laughs> I didn't realize that um, it was something I booked through the agent and then the client contacted me directly. And then I started having a discussion with the client and the agent was like, um, you may not realize, you may not know this, but the correspondence between the client should always go through the agent. So now if a repeat client contacts me directly, but I booked it through an agent, I will say, you know, thanks so much. Would love to work with you. I'm available today, but can you contact so-and-so to get it set up? That's a great point. So I learned. <laughs> <laughs> well, and your agent will appreciate that because then it, it tells them that you're not interested in like scalping the mm -hmm. job off them and that they're, they're worth the commission or whatever. Um, I think this isn't exactly being reprimanded, um, but uh, I had an agent that just always sounded annoyed if I like called them and and then that culminated in getting booked for a job that then the client really took advantage of me in in the session and like gave me twice as many scripts as I'd been booked for and I was like assuming the agent had my back and then I didn't get paid for any of it and the agent didn't tell him no and so then when I was calling them about it they sounded like I was like I was bothering them and so then I was like you know no they because like we, we said, you know, they're on your side, they've got your back well, they or they should, should. Yeah. if they don't, or if you feel like you're, they are being pestered when you're calling them, ditch them. Cause there are other agents out there that, that won't treat you like that. Um, you don't need them. You are the reason they have a job. So, uh, yeah. So I, I didn't put up with it. I just said, you know, I'm, I don't think you're representing my interests any longer and I'm not interested in being a part of this agency. Well, that's what I wanted to put out to the rest of the room. When, when is the time to look for a new agent or expand your roster of agents? I'm looking right now. Like I said, I'm, I think once you maybe, because there's a couple levels kind of of agents, you know, the regional talent agents are like maybe a managerial style of an agent or major market representation LA. So once you book, you've kind of got a window. You've kind of got this, like if you book a national campaign, uh, like I did a, 
some spots for Wendy's and I'm narrating a TV show right now. And so then that was like, Oh, this is my window. I've got like two really pretty serious things like right now. So I need to start pushing. And then I was like, except my demos are not what they really are not LA ready. So then that was like, ah, crap. So I've got to wait for the next window, but Chaz probably still would have grabbed that window. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, trust me, I did. But when they said no, that was when I was like, Oh, (laughs) <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's, that makes sense. I think it just, you as you grow, I think you, you, well, you pick up agents a lot easier for one when your materials are of a certain quality. And, um, it's just when you're ready, you know, I mean, like for the longest time I just had one because I felt like that was all I needed. Um, and then, you know, when, when I felt like, you know, my website and my demos and everything was all my ducks were lined up really nice and proper. Um, then I went on mass pursuit, you know, I mean, that was my, my task was to pick up agents and, you know, and then you kind of go, okay, well, I have one in the Northeast and I have one in the South and I have one in LA and I have one in New York and, you know, and you kind of do your territory and then now I'm kind of good. I have some in Europe. I have some in the U S I feel comfortable with where I'm at unless I see an agency that peaks up that, um, that is a, a territory that I don't cover. Uh, I also do um, like character work. So I just picked up an agency that specializes in toys. Um, so, so that is an avenue that I was pursuing. Uh, perhaps a bigger agency in LA or New York, if you're at that level. But if you're just starting out, you know, it's kind of as you can get them. I've got a question for Mo. Um, how much, because I think you said you have seven agents or something like that, or I have 10. 10. How much overlap? Because I was starting to get like triple overlap, even when I had four. And so, and I talked to some people that were like, oh, I wouldn't have more than six. So how much overlap are you getting? Or do you really do your homework on like, oh, they, they do this one type of genre. So I don't have to worry about like getting overlap yeah, from other industries. There, uh, several of them kind of came on all at once. Like I said, I tried to do a mass so I could go, okay, well, if I get two offers from the same area, I can be selective. But sometimes I did. So every once in a while, yeah, the voice bank auditions, I will get overlap. I mean, I give priority to either the first who sends it to me or my bigger agent, um, whoever I think is going to have more pull for me. Um, I will break that first come first serve rule, but yeah, the voice bank auditions, but I'm finding lately, I'm not getting a lot of overlap. I'm getting, you know, um, I try to find agencies that are maybe small town regional and they have gigs that are well-paying that are not with other agencies. And that is a fabulous thing to find. Get on these small agencies. I shouldn't give out my secrets, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a great way to pick up gigs. And, and maybe they're not the biggest names. Maybe they are. But it's a great way to pick up um, different gigs through your agencies and not have the overlap and not just be getting voice bank. Is there a number that's too many? Too many agents? Anyone? <laughs> I don't know what that number is, but I would say, yeah, probably. Well, well, it's I, like we were talking about before. We have two examples where one has more than a handful of agents and there's no overlap and the other one has less and there is. So I guess it really just depends on where the agency is, like where it is and what kind of work they do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I've sorry. dropped agencies over the years and picked up different ones and, you know. Also, um, I, on, on that note, you know, I think that once you get to a certain point or number of agents, you know, some are bigger time and some are smaller and, and they may give you a lot of great opportunities, but you don't necessarily have to showcase all of them on your website. You know, maybe pick your top four 
Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, so, you know, your local one, your, your, the bigger markets, and even though the smaller ones may be giving you tons of great opportunities, either they're not going to care or, you know, having too many on your website and it doesn't necessarily look good for you. But. I would agree with that. There are agencies also out there that will say you're only allowed to have three or yeah. four. Right. And they say you can only be with us if you only have and I think that number is three, four. And then some are exclusive for their area. Yep, mm -hmm. a lot are. And others don't care. Mm -hmm. so. so this is a little bit off, uh, off book, but it, it, it made me think of it when Heather was talking. Are there any other warning signs that a, a newer talent should know about when they're being approached by an agent? Things that they should avoid, uh, things yes. in a contract that they should be really weary about? Annual yes. subscriptions. That's exactly that what I was going to say. <laughs> uh -huh. Don't pay them other than commission and maybe a one-time web fee to help you get up on their site. Some agents will charge that. But you shouldn't be paying annually. And, and you, uh, yeah. Yeah, and schooling. If they're pushing, hey, we teach this class, blah, blah, blah. Hey, we can get you pictures or headshots or demos. Demos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's probably a bad sign. And also the amount of the percentage that they take. Um, yeah. If it's more than 20, just say no. And even 20 is too much, in my opinion. I, I had one. And Spoiler, it was the one I left. And uh, <laughs> so 15% for non-union is pretty normal, 10% for union. But if they're taking 20, be wary because there are other agents that don't. And then 25 or more, just flip them the bird and don't even respond. Because <laughs> they're just- I, I they're see scams. 20 a lot. So I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with that. Yeah, I don't know if I'd agree with that. But um, I would say that 25 is too much. And you also do need to be aware that sometimes 20 actually means 40. If you see an audition that says 20 plus 20% 20 agency fee. So you think, awesome, the client's paying the agent. I get all of that money. Nope. Yeah. They're going to take that 20 and then they're going to take another 20 from your money. Not all agents do it, but some do. So be aware. Good, um, excellent points. Another thing to be wary of is if you are brand new and even if you have a killer demo, but you have no experience yet and the agents are interested in you, just make sure it's for the right reasons because usually agents are not going to be interested until you can prove that you can do the work. Just because you have a great sound doesn't mean you're going to be bookable for them. So if they're interested too soon, just make sure that they are a reputable agent. And if they are, great. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. If they're interested in you and you don't have like a serious referral that's vouching for you or something or just amazing demos or something that is really puts you above, yeah, I've, I think there's a good chance they're actually trying to get something from you or to take advantage of you. So, since we're already scared of agents now, that leads on to our next question. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, but it really, it does, it is relevant to what I'm going to say next. But um, do, do we even need an agent for a healthy VO career? Because I think you guys have all proved it that you don't to some degree, but you also benefit from having an agent. So what do you guys feel? Does, does a talent really need one if they don't want one? I think a lot of people have proven that you don't really need one to succeed. I mean, you look at like Mark Scott, who very prominent VO, great blog, got a lot of good coaching stuff. And he, you know, he says he worked for three years before he had an agent. And by then he was making his 
you know, it's legendary six figures that you can make in this business. Um, so uh, just, I don't, I don't think you necessarily do you, to need an agent to succeed. I think it helps um, if you find a good agent who will work with you and will know your voice in and out and will send you things that you're right for. Um, it's a legendary agent that I have yet to meet. <laughs> um, uh, but then again, I haven't been with my agents that long for them to get to know my voice or to get to know me. Um, and, you know, half the stuff I do, they can't really send stuff out for right now because of a certain strike that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and I think need, the word need has a, um, a connotation that's not quite appropriate. I mean, it's, it's sort of the icing on the cake, or you could say need if you want to take your, your career to that level. I mean, you're never going to get union auditions without, a, without yeah. an agent. Yeah. So if you want to go union and you want big nationals and high paying jobs, then yes, you do need an agent. If you are happy doing non-union work and you don't care about nationals and you just want to do, you know, corporate videos and local commercials and you can still make a six-figure income doing that, then, then no, you don't need an agent. I was, depends on I, where you want to go. I was making a healthy five-figure income before I had any agents. So mm-hmm. you certainly yeah. can. Um, and now I will say there are, depending on where you live, I got my first couple of union jobs before I had an agent. Um, and it was because I knew some casting directors and some production houses here in Nashville that regularly did union work. And they, I just kind of got on their radar and, and got to build a relationship with them. So I wasn't represented, but they knew me. So, but I will say like 98% of the time, that's not the case, but, uh, but yeah, you can live without them and, and really having one, isn't going to change your life probably unless you're in LA or something, but it's not. Like, you're not going to like suddenly hit the big time once you get an agent. You'll just do a lot more auditions. <laughs> Hopefully. Over and over. Opportunity. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's just another more people out there. I mean, I, I am very fortunate to be successful in my own marketing, but I'm constantly getting opportunities from agents that I never would have seen without them. So I do think that agents are wonderful, but I shouldn't, I, I think you shouldn't rely on them solely but I think that you should, when you get to a certain point, try to get them as well because they'll only help your career. So along those lines, is it still a benchmark? Because I know starting out, and it was, I was obviously a misnomer, but my, my thought was once I get an agent, then I'll be all set. We <laughs> <laughs> kind of dispelled that myth on this call, but is it still a benchmark of some sort as to your career progress? Um, Honestly, I think it depends on the agency because, you know, there's a lot of agencies out there that are grabbing up as much voice talent as they can get because they want to have so much that they can send to like these voice bank auditions that hopefully by playing the law of averages, they'll get more people, you know, shortlisted or cast. Um, You know, those are, they're just starting off. There's a bunch of new agencies, you know, and they don't really have a regular list of clients yet that they work exclusively for and say, we have these exclusive voices for you. So, I mean, I, when I first got, was looking for an agent, I thought that would be the big benchmark, but when I didn't get one for a while after I left my, um, my local one and I was doing fine. And then once, you know, once I did book an agent, it didn't really change anything. (laughs) Um, I did book some things with them, but there was just all the voice bank stuff, which actually put me when I was thinking about it, when I was like, well, maybe I don't really want to be with this agent anymore because they don't really send anything 
that suits me. It's obvious they don't really know me because I get this blank sheet which says, you know, you know, 60 to 70 year old. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not my voice. Uh, this is my voice. Is that, I'm, not, I'm not 70. So <laughs> and that's probably also a sign of an agent that you don't want to be with is one that, you know, doesn't really take the time to, you know, look at which people are appropriate for which audition. You know, you, you think, you know, if they're just sending it out to all their male talent, you have to think, well, maybe I don't want to be with this agent. Well, to piggyback on that, I have one agent that when I uh, signed with him, he said, I'm not going to not send you something if it's, you know, I'm not going to send you like an old man spot if, or, Basically, he doesn't, he didn't want to decide that I couldn't do something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes I get things from him where I'm like, you know what, I am going to push it. And then it turns out to be something that I wouldn't necessarily have been cast for, but it ends up being a great fit. Mm-hmm. So it depends on how you look at it. I think if all my agents did that, it wouldn't be good. But, um, and the fact that he brought that up to you, I think is, it makes right away, it yeah. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I have I have one agent that does send me everything that comes through her door, and I prefer that uh, just because I have some other agents that I almost never hear from, but I know they're getting work and they're they're getting auditions, and so it's like, well, wait, what are the? How do I like convince them that I'm a good fit for some of these jobs? Because I'm sure some of them I am, and so I I prefer getting everything, and I've I've been called a vocal chameleon, so I, f- I feel like I've got a pretty wide range that. I don't want an agent deciding what I can't do. So yeah, I agree with Heather. Okay, great. To close, let's talk about uh, one hot tip you would give a newer talent who's either looking to be with an agent or create a relationship with their existing agent. Anyone that wants to start? Um, I'll start. And that's um, continue to study. Um, find coaches, get to know your voiceover community and um, just continue to study. And, and hey, maybe you've got a really a really cool voiceover, Maurice Tobias, you're taking a Maurice Tobias class, let's say. Well, maybe that's something that you could say, hey, by the way, I'm studying with Maurice Tobias, you know, put that in your newsletter or a hello email. I just think it's, it's so important to continue to study forever, as long as you kind of want to continue <laughs> to do this. So um, it's, it's a chance, any chance you have to reach out to your agent and not be needy or wanting, why can't I get any jobs? Why aren't you sending, you know, something say, hey, this is what I'm doing. You know, maybe they'll feel like, oh, well, I'm doing this, you know, reciprocate. Okay. Anybody else? Uh, I would say to really nurture the relationships with your agents um, you know, get to know who they are as people and genuinely care about them. And it's not just, you know, hey, this is what I've done, but this is what's going on in my life. And how are you and what's going on in yours? And it's just relationships are so important in this industry. And it's, I think especially with your agents. Um, I guess I've got two quick ones. One is just to reiterate what I said earlier, which is don't be the type of talent that needs an agent. Get Be the type of talent an agent needs. If you focus on building yourself, building your relationships, getting the connections, you'll be much more valuable and desirable by those agents. And they'll want to shop you around more than if you're dependent on them for your success. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's tip one. Tip two is treat everybody as if they're worth your time because a lot of the time they actually are. And more, much more often than you think they will be like the TV show is I'm working for that show because of a, 
part-time voice actress that I met at a meetup here in Nashville that just so happened to do the finance for their production house. Yeah, nice, fine. And, and oh. so they, they needed a narrator and she recommended me. <laughs> it wasn't an agent. So, and I know some actors that don't, didn't even go to the meetup because they thought, oh, well, they're all small time. Like, I, I won't get anything out of it. You never, you never know. So be nice to everybody. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Uh, I think we had a great discussion. Hopefully it'll be helpful to our audience. Before we go, free plug time. Let's go around the room. Anything, tell us where we can find you or where we can see your work. Matthew, go. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, most recently, uh, actually did work for a local company here in Baltimore called Sparky Pants Studios. They've just uh, yesterday released on for Steam Early Access Drop Zone. Um, and funny thing about that job is actually, uh, from just a marketing standpoint, uh, they just, I followed them on Twitter. They followed me back. I said, thank you. And they said, oh, you're a voice talent. You know, hey, do you want to, you know, do, we're actually looking for people around this area. And I said, okay. And then so I booked a narration job with them, which you can also see on Steam and on YouTube. And then in that session, the president who I was talking with was just like, hey, we need a character in the video game. And, you know, your voice is great. Can we just go ahead and take care of that now? So I booked two jobs in one sitting. And uh, so if you actually play the infestation mode on drop zone, that's me shouting, going, Oh, well, cores in the morning. I love the smell of cores in the morning and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> <Awesome. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, there's some other stuff, hopefully in the works, maybe for in the next couple of years, animation wise, but we'll see. So anyways, uh, keep fingers crossed. Best of luck to you. Thank you, man. Thanks. <clears throat> that's great. Michael, just because you're next on my list in the, in the window. Sure. Um, shameless plugs. You can find me and my past work in demo reels at what he said, voiceovers.com. Um, you can hear me on long range reality on the sportsman channel. Uh, I am a green mouth monkey on some Wendy's commercials and, uh, you can <laughs> play some games on steam with me in a game called eternal, a game called Nilo and a bunch of other stuff. That's enough. Awesome. Mo rock. Uh, let's see. Well, you can hear all my demos and find about me and my website, morock.com. Mo with an E, just like the great Mo, Larry, and Curly. Um, <laughs> let's see. I'm on uh, lots of video games, including uh, Dungeons and Dragons Neverwinter all over that game. Um, got a new game just came out, Skylab. Um, and I'm on an animation series in Ireland, which is kind of fun. <laughs> uh, commercials. Uh, Visa, Dunkin' Donuts, Walmart did some stuff for them. That's about all I got going on right now. Okay. Heather Costa. Um, you can uh, find my stuff on heathercosta.com. Um, I'm now an LA talent and uh, I have Yay! a national <laughs> um, I have a national radio spot for McDonald's airing right now and uh, some spots for Subway, lots of stuff on Pandora. Um, I'm doing a, a series of audiobooks for young girls, which is really fun. And um, some other stuff, uh, Coca-Cola, Nordstrom, just different things here and there. Lots of corporate things as well. So, yeah, that's basically what I'm up to. Okay. Well, on behalf of the VO meter, Sean and myself, thank you very much. Sean, any parting shots? Well, I just can't thank you guys enough. I mean, the whole point of this was to dispel some myths about just how vital an agent may or may not be to your business and whether or not it can make or break you. And you guys just 
blew it right out of the water. I mean, I've, I've learned so much and I hope our listeners, uh, well, I know our listeners are going to benefit from it. So thank you so much. Thanks for having us, you guys. It's yeah, great. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Let's do it again. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. Thank you. So that about wraps up this episode of the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. We want to give a special thanks to our guests, Michael Schwabe and Matthew Curtis. And the extremely lovely and talented Mo Rock and Heather Costa. So thanks again to our wonderful guests. And if you have any questions or comments for us or them, go ahead and leave a comment on the, uh, in the Facebook section below. If you have questions or ideas or want to be a guest on a future episode, just let us know. Have a great day, everyone. Hope you enjoy the podcast. And follow along at www.vometer.com. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. To follow along, please visit www.vometer.com.